Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Call it folly, call it madness. But once again, we are going to do one of those shows where there are no guests. There's merely a phone number, which I give you, and then there's you, and then there's me. And we call it Ask or Tell Me Anything. Uh, I will make some suggestions on the other side of the news, but the main thing you need to know right now is that the number is 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. And and there are no bad calls, although I feel as though you might prove me wrong in the first 15 minutes. Anyway, let's try this again. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash elevating health. Let's go. Ready? From the top. favorite shows on TV at 12 minutes of advertising. I can't get behind that kind of time. Eat quickly, drive faster, make more money now. I can't get behind that. My kids say, he said to me and I'm like, and he's like, and she's like, it's all, he's all, she's all. I can't get behind that kind of like English. That'll be six to eight weeks before delivery. The rising oceans, the warming temperatures. All right, then you hear that song, you know what we're doing. We have taken leave of our senses one more time, and we are going to do a program that I've started to call Ask or Tell Me Anything. Uh, and the plan is that there is no plan. Uh, the plan is that you will call in. The number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. I'll do that again in just a second. Um, and uh, and you will you will bring up topics. I mean, I'm going to sort of try to set the stage a little bit in just a second here, unless you just deluge me with with topics or with calls, with things you want to talk about. Speaking of deluges, obviously that's in there somewhere. Um, although I don't really feel like we have to talk about the storm all day. Um, but 
Before that, I also want to say that, and I've discussed this with no one, including the producer of this episode, I'm introducing a new feature here, all right? And it's the mystery envelope, all right? And so I'm holding the mystery envelope right now. I'm holding it right up to the microphone so you can see it at home. And so the mystery, so I have to explain this. I have to explain this in a little bit of detail. So I went to college with a man named Mr. Carp. And uh, it's like 45 years later. I'm still not comfortable addressing him by his first name, so I address him as Mr. Carp. He's now starting to have grandchildren. I believe they will be addressing him as Mr. Carp. So, um, and so <laughs> I, I guess I can't tell the whole story of Mr. Carp right now. Suffice it to say that Mr. Carp is, you know, in certain ways, arguably the smartest person I've ever met. Um, for example, he graduated from Yale University, Phi Beta Kappa, and Summa Cum Laude in three years. And he wasn't grinding it out in the library either. He was farting around with me. So uh, so I know for a fact that he didn't spend that much time studying. So anyway, what Mr. Carp does <clears throat> here in our, our mutual senescence uh, is that uh, to many of his, uh, I think anyway, to some, let's say, of his friends, um, he clips things out of newspapers and magazines. He places them in envelopes. By the way, he always repurposes an old envelope. Like this is some junk mail from American Express. <laughs> uh, and Mr. Garber is like done really, really well in life too, as opposed to me. So, I mean, he doesn't – it's not like he can't afford new envelopes from Staples. He prefers to do things this way. So and So – and these are just sort of random things that Mr. Carp has for one reason or another decided that I either need to know or would be interested in. He, he has also never explained his rationale nor would I expect him to. All I'm telling you is, if there's not enough to talk about today, which hasn't really been a problem, but if by some chance there's not enough to talk about, I will open this envelope. It is currently sealed. I don't know what's in here. Um, and so so that's the new element. We have a mystery envelope. And this may be a continuing element of this show as we do it. I don't even know. It's like break glass in case of emergency. I may not need this today. All right. Just uh, to talk about deluges for a second. One thing that I would like to say is don't be crabby with meteorologists, all right? Meteorologists, they are people. They are real. I mean, I know there's some debate about that, but I've known a few of them, and I, they seem they seem human humanoid. <laughs> oh, this isn't coming off the way I wanted it to. No, I meteorologists are – I mean, most of the meteorologists I've known are very nice people too. I was just noticing this because Rachel Frank, who's a meteorologist uh, at I think Channel 61, Fox 61, I don't know, uh, whatever that is. Uh, she was tweeting about the fact that people are like, you know, like, you know, when storms happen and either they don't happen the way, you know, they're supposed to happen or, or, I mean, it's like we really have turned into this very churlish society where, you know, if you're sitting here like in the Hartford area and a storm is supposed to hit and it doesn't, you, people get really mad that it didn't happen, even though they didn't want it to happen. Like, they'd be even madder if it happened, right? And their basements would be flooded, and the street would be flooded, and the power would be out for five days, and they'd be furious. But they're also angry. <laughs> they're, you know why they're angry? Because they had to bring their patio furniture in or something. That's who we've turned into. That's why we let leave Afghanistan high and dry. I'm sort of not kidding about this either. I mean, one of my central themes today is, we, and I would include myself in this equation, we have become an unserious society. We have become a group of people who, you know, are just emojiing ourselves to death and are unable to discern the difference between what's important and what's not, which is how, like, half the country winds up not believing in election results. We wind up with a bad Afghanistan policy. 27% of adult Americans haven't gotten vaccinated at all. 
you know, they were they are not participating in the greatest public health challenge of our lifetimes because we have become an unserious society. That's why. Uh, it's all connected. It's all connected. And I would say being a jerk to media, like it's their fault or something, like they intentionally screwed up the forecast. It's a storm. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not like you can go interview it or something. It's a storm. They don't know. They, they're taking, you know, they're making their best estimate of when it's going to land. Don't abuse and don't use social media as a way to further abuse meteorologists. I also feel really guilty about this because I actually did yell at a meteorologist one time. I mean, we were like on the air, you know. I mean, we were – that doesn't make it better. Never mind. All right. The number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. All right. I'm going to do this slowly again one time. 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. It's so helpful if I actually do it right. 888-720-9677. There we go. Here uh, is our first call of the day. It is from Sandy uh, in uh, Foster, Rhode Island. Hi, Sandy. Well, that's... The, that, hey, Colin. Hey, there you are. Hi, hey, Sandy. you us the chance to call in. Yes, we love we love to have you call in, Sandy. All right. Do you, do, do, great. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the issues about the um, Afghan war and the situation. Um, going back in way in the past, um, first of all, that um, there were um, that the Taliban offered to negotiate with the U.S. about releasing Bin Laden to. Um, to a neutral country way back when, and we simply refused to do that, and there's no press coverage of that now. And the other that is, is in general, other than a few interviews with Barbara Lee, I don't hear the press interviewing people who stood out against that war from the very beginning. And I'm wondering what your thoughts about that, and if you have any thoughts about how to amplify some of those messages that don't get heard. All right. So let me say a few things about this. Okay. Uh, I, I first of all, the main, the first thing I have to say is because yeah. I don't want to be this person. Uh, I, I mean, I've been a journalist for all this this whole time, and I've been in talk radio for this entire time. I mean, for the last twenty years, essentially more than that, actually. But so I have been obliged to think about, read about, and comment on Afghanistan just the way I would have to do that about any top topic. I used to be on a more conventional kind of talk radio station where whatever was in the news, you had to talk about it. So, but that's the extent of my qualifications. I mean, I, I really uh, have been somewhat appalled by all the instant experts in Afghanistan who popped up, you know, uh, like seeds sown into the ground uh, the minute things started to get hairy over there. So I don't really hold myself out as any expert. But I do, I remember what happened, which is obviously there was quite a bit uh, of furor, uh, unfocused furor, post 9-11. I was actually hosting talk radio on, as I say, a commercial station. Most of the audience uh, leaned right I was kind of a house liberal there. I was the afternoon drive person. And, and you know, people just – they their immediate response, like September 12th, September 13th going forward was bomb everywhere over there and then we'll figure out later which ones actually deserve to be bombed. It was really kind of at that level, bomb the whole place flat. And and then, you know, we, there was kind of a sorting and, and there was gradually in the in year or two that followed, you know, several different kinds of choruses. But, you know, one of them obviously was the Bush administration's use of this as kind of a fulcrum to jack up outrage so that they could go into Iraq. Iraq having had nothing to do, Saddam Hussein having had no connection to 9-11 whatsoever. So then people like 
like me, and this is where I can kind of indict myself, said, well, no, if you're going to, you know, if we're going to have a war, we'll have to have it in Afghanistan. That's, you know, that's where all of this stuff is currently located and seated and rooted. And, 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 and I think everybody, you know, got behind that too. I mean, because Americans were understandably upset about 9-11. Now, the problem is, because we are not a serious people and have not been a serious people for 20 years, there's been no real, there was never any real, you know, popular maintenance of this whole question. So that, as I said last week, you know, and I'm, I steal, I'm stealing this from somebody, some, this line belongs to somebody else. You'd have to use an electron microscope to find a congressional election in the last 20 years that was in any way decided by or it, it was in any way even substantially influenced by the issue of Afghanistan. You know, think of all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of congressional elections that we've had in the last 20 years. I guarantee you there isn't one where there was a significant debate about how to handle Afghanistan, you know, that, that, that really influenced the outcome of the election. Because we have short attention spans. Let's attack Afghanistan, you know, and then three, four, five years out, people, they're not paying attention anymore. They're paying attention to other stuff. And, and I think, you know, the, the next time they really think about it is, is at a time like this. When you have this horror unfolding uh, as, as we pull out. But, you know, or I mean, the reality is Obama ran on getting out of Afghanistan. Trump ran on getting out of Afghanistan. Biden ran on getting out of Afghanistan. Everybody ran on getting out of Afghanistan. Now, uh, a hideous mess, a lot of it avoidable, has been made here. Um, but, but I think a lot of it has to do with our own unseriousness about things. We, we get the leaders we want. We get the kind of leadership and the functioning government that we want. These people are politicians. They want our votes. If they thought we were really interested in a much more serious and sub- substantive set of policies involving Afghanistan, they'd probably have tried harder to do that. So that's my take. You have the floor, Sandy, if you want it. Uh, okay, thanks. Um, I, um, I, I certainly agree with some of what you said there in terms of um, – lack of focus, but I I guess I come from a point of frustration, having been one of those people who spoke out early about the war and who remembers, I'm one of those rare people who remembers that the Taliban offered to negotiate, and I feel like we don't get heard. Yeah. I mean, I think Either. there's, first of all, good, good for you to have that kind of prescience. Um, you know, I mean, there's other problems with the Taliban besides Osama bin Laden. I mean, as as borne out by the fact that we've continued to go to be at war there long after Osama bin Laden was located, not in Afghanistan and, and dealt with. But anyway, yes, I mean, look, I think a lot of people like me were so appalled by the incursion into Iraq that we sort of pointed to Afghanistan as the potentially good war. And we may have been very wrong about that. Um, all right, let's talk to Matthew in Greenpoint, Long Island, I assume. Hi, hi, Matthew. Hi, how you doing? That's uh, Greenport? Greenport. Uh, Long Island. That's my yes, bad. Sir. Okay. No problem. Uh, how you doing? I, I would like to talk about the uh, meteorological situation that you uh, seem to have delved in with the uh, poor meteorologists being being blamed for the uh, for the weather mm-hmm. or the lack of. So uh, uh, I, I guess, what is it? One of my science uh, electives I had to take in college was uh, I chose uh, meteorology and climatology. Huh. And, and it occurred to me halfway through it that you really can't predict the weather accurately more than three days. I mean, unless it's sunny and shiny and, 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 and high pressure, but otherwise you really can't do it. Now, the public 
demands that you give them a five day forecast or seven day forecast. I mean, so what do they do? Sure, we'll give you a seven day forecast. It's not going to be accurate, but we'll give you one just so you can feel secure and knowing that you have something of substance you can take with you. You know, um, and then it's it's true. I'm 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 a home improvement contractor. I'd say about mm, three quarters of my work is outside. So if anybody knows the weather, I sure as heck do. And uh, you know, I've, I've seen it happen all the time. You know, two three days maybe ahead of time, but to accurately predict uh, the weather is impossible. And uh, the general public who wants to be you know lulled into this sense of security of knowing that the weather's going to be there. They can't do it. They can't do it. Unless you have a wedding party or some kind of an outdoor event that you want to plan for. You know, that's when the uh, meteorologists get really hammered hard. But, uh, you know, they're just doing their job. That's all. So uh, how good they get paid for it. Seems to be a little overpaid. Sometimes they're really off. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, would, I will say this. That first of all, this is, I used to have this number at my fingertips. I don't have it anymore. I mean, it was in my head. Mm. Uh, but there, there are these kind of changes in the size of the reliable weather forecast. So, I mean, I, mm. I'm, I'd have to make it up now to say what it was. But in other words, it's like every five years we add a day. Uh, of reliability or something. So that window, <laughs> that window may have changed a little bit since you were in college. I mean, the, the general rule of thumb right now is that a seven-day forecast can accurately predict the weather about eighty percent of the time. A five-day forecast can accurately predict the weather ninety percent of the time. A ten-day is right only about half the time. But when we say predict. I mean, knowing that the landfall of a hurricane is going to be in westerly Rhode Island instead of Milford, Connecticut, I, I don't know if that's, you know, considered to be even the, the type of thing that you, you judge. I mean, I, look, they said we were going to have a big storm. There's going to be a lot of rain. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of wind. They were, they were right. They were wrong about some of the details. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, there is – I mean, we are getting uh, – we, not we, not you and me, but, you know, as a society, as a civilization, we do get better over time in predicting the weather. All right, so the number is 888-720-WNPR. I like this. I like this. These are diverse. Wait a minute. There's there's apostasy sitting up here uh, on the board here. Uh, here's Elwin from Portland, Connecticut. Hi, Elwin. You're on the air. And good afternoon, Colin. i got to start off with, I know what's in the envelope. You do. Way. You do. Yeah. No, okay. Uh, I do. But I'm going to save that for the end. All right. Because I'm going to refute your opening statement. I love the monologue that uh, Mr. Carp was the smartest man you ever met. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I'm going to take issue with that and say, the smartest man you ever met is actually the guy you look at every morning in the mirror, and it's you. No, I'm not as smart as Mr. Carp. Well, you know, I've, I've come to watch you at events. Yeah. I've listened to you do opera productions. You can sing. You can dance. <laughs> what can't you do? I read you in the paper. I mean, you're all over the place. I think you're the smartest guy I've ever met. Well, that's and, very sweet. That's and sweet. to prove it, yeah. inside the envelope, yeah. <laughs> never having seen the answer, is an IOU from your Yale <laughs> classmate, Scott Sherman. Ah, well, that's possible. That would my, be, that would be nice. Friend, huh? That would be nice. Uh, well, that would be nice if there was an IU, IOU from Scott Sherman. All right. Like one of my heroes, Frank Skinner. Frank Skinner has a rule on his show on Absolute Radio in England that um, if people like they get they, they use texting a lot. But if people text praise, he does not allow the praise to be read out. I'm uncomfortable with praise. too. That was very nice of him to say that. But but is proof. I mean, I don't want to belabor, belabor this. It's of interest mainly to me, probably. But 
<laughs> you know, they have like in universities, they have like teaching assistants who are graduate students, you know, so you take a course and there's a professor and then there's a teaching assistant, a TA they're called, you know, and they're graduate students. When Mr. Karp was a junior, an undergraduate junior, he was a TA of a course I was taking. In fact, he was my TA. Uh, and I didn't, either because of or despite that, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do well in the course. <laughs> but but that's, that would be an indication anyway. All right. We're not going to talk about Mr. Karp anymore because I'm you know, probably even forbidden to bring him up. Uh, all right. We're going to take a little. No, let's talk to Linda. We'll take one more call and then we'll go to a break. The number once again, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. You may ask or tell me anything. Uh, and let's have Linda from Summers uh, be the last person in this segment. Hi, Linda. Hi there. How are you today? Just fine. <laughs> That's good. I called in because I wanted to give Eversource a big thumbs up. I think they handled this whole thing extremely well. When I was out for my war- morning walk before it started raining, mm-hmm. I had about eight or nine Eversource trucks go by me. Right. And with each one, I gave them a thumbs up and a big wave, and they waved back. I want those men to know that we do appreciate them. And people who criticize them, forget about it. I mean, I lived here when we had that October 29th storm. We were out of power yes. for 10 days because oh. we're up in this corner of the state that doesn't get much recognition. But, hey, we managed. Right. Actually, if it makes you feel any better, everybody was out of power for 10 days. I live a block and a half from the governor's residence. I was out of power for 10 days. That, that storm That's is referred to insane. as, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that storm is referred to as Arborgeddon because it was the trees. The trees got us that time. Um, because that was the time it snowed. She's talking about the time it snowed and there was like still greenery. It was October, late October. So there's still greenery on all the trees. And obviously, that was bad. Um, oh, I just want to say, it's not just men, it's women. You know, women, women fix your power lines, your, you know, all that stuff. And I do think this time, Eversource, you know, they were so chastened last time around. You know, I think, <laughs> I believe actually every power truck, not only in the United States, but I think in Western civilization, was in Connecticut this weekend. Connecticut, Rhode Island, or Massachusetts, right? They were like, you know, they were they brought them in on aircraft carriers from Slovenia. Everybody's, we had everybody's power truck uh, just for a little while. And then we didn't need them that bad. But don't yell at the meteorologists about that. That's wrong. All right. The number is 888-720-WNPR. Ask or tell me anything. We'll be back after this. I'm laughing because I like I love randomness. I really do love motliness. In this. And I'm la- looking at the board and the, the calls are so incredibly diverse uh, and that's making me happy. So here we go. Um, but b- before we go to those calls, I just want to say, because I just screwed something up, uh, which is we just played the song, I think it's called Shadow Captain by Crosby, Stills and Nash, because I was supposed to talk about this in the first segment. Uh, and now I will. So Andrew Cuomo, and I know Andrew Cuomo's got his problems, and I know he created most of those problems. 
but this is this is going to be worse. This he just made things a thousand times worse. Uh, and I had a, I'm going to turn out to have had a little tiny meaningless role in it. But so it turns out that he's like he moved out of the governor's residence and he moved in with one of his sisters in Westchester County. He's he's left his executive mansion in Albany. And but he left his dog there. <laughs> he has a dog named Captain. That's why we played that song. See, now it all makes sense now, kind of in reverse. This is this is like the talk show version of Tenet. You know, we basically we we communicate across time. Um, so uh, he has a dog named Captain. I guess he's not really a great dog. You know, at least by many accounts. Um, and he, so he left it there. And 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 he left Captain. And he's trying to get somebody to take care of it for him. And it's like his former staff members. You know, with all the kind of love and goodwill he's been built up among them, you'd think maybe somebody would take care of cat. Nobody wants, but you can't just leave your dog. Okay, you can't just you can't just walk out and leave your dog. I mean, particularly if you already have public relations problems, which is to put it mildly. And and so here's where I come in. So I don't know how many people follow this, but Gail Collins of the New York Times, the very funny columnist of the New York Times. She has she made this kind of crusade out of the fact that Mitt Romney went on vacation one time and and strapped a kind of a um, you know one of those little boxes you put dogs in crate a dog crate uh, onto the top of his station wagon and put the dog up there and then drove like from Massachusetts to Maine. I should know all of this because Gail has mentioned it conservatively. I would say. 947 times in her column, like any time Romney's name comes up. It, it's kind of this running joke that she you know, will never fail to bring up this thing about the dog because he put the dog on top of the car and then drove all the way to Maine. The poor dog's up there. And so this morning, uh, Gail and I are very, very old friends, known each other forever. So I emailed her, I, and I, I emailed her the link about Captain the dog, the Cuomo dog, with the subject line, they are making it too easy for you. And it turned out I was the first person to tell her about that. So I feel like I'm about to become part of history because there's just no question in the world that there's going to be a Gil Collins, Collins column about Andrew Cuomo's dog, Captain. Um, all right. That's what that's all about anyway. Uh, I thought I would just explain things. All right. Here we go. Randomness in calling. We like randomness. Here's Bob in Hartford to talk about something about the English language. Hi, Bob. Hi. Colin. Um I want to spell chaos, K-A-O-S. Um, well, who's stopping you? We're blinded, we're, we're blinded by ability and knowledge of traditions that are unchangeable, mm-hmm. uncharitable, and unchristian, and inhumane. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. This is my first time uh, in... Um, embracing outwardly other than my family yeah. about this um, knowledge. So, so, is it, so is this about spelling? Are we having a conversation about spelling yes, right yes, now? Yes, it is about spelling. Okay. It is indeed about reading and spelling. So do, so, you, so do you feel as though K-E-R-N-E-L and C-O-L-O-N-E-L should not be pronounced the same way? Yeah. Uh, I... I would be uh, O-W-T because it's consistent with uh, how and now and how and cow. Right. All right, Bob, I feel like you might be operating at a level that I'm not able to join you on. I feel like you're up there, you know, in the stratosphere, which is good. This is what talk radio is for, for people to do that. But I don't think I don't think I can sustain myself in a protracted conversation with Bob. I'm going to go to Tom from Naugatuck, who has... Two of the less related topics on his mind that I could possibly think of. But let's see how this goes. Hi, Tom. Hey, 
How's it going, Colin? <laughs> Pleasure to talk to you. I wanted to talk to, uh, to you about another legendary radio personality, uh, Bob Steele. I know you were um, on the same station, and I just wonder if you have a story about him. If you could say what Bob Steele would think of the state of AM radio today. Well, you know, he, w- he wouldn't be happy with it, but he was rarely happy with it. Um, so what, for people who don't, don't uh, understand this or don't know what we're talking about. So Bob Steele was, for a, he was at WTIC for decades and decades and decades. And for most of that time, he, he captured a larger share of his av- available metro audience than any radio host in America, except there, I think there was a guy in Kansas City or someplace like that who they'd sort of swap back and forth. But, you know, in the Nielsen or Arbitron ratings, um, one or the other of them would have the largest chunk. It'd be like 36% of the available audience to come any radio stations there. I was like this huge thing. So he was this massive institution here in Connecticut. And he had this completely weird and quirky show. His own delivery was was not typical radio stuff. There used to be a salesperson at WTIC who would do, uh, uh, he would do this kind of Bob Newhart routine where he was pitching Bob Steele's show to some national advertiser. He'd go, yeah, so every day is a word of the day. He explains how certain words are mispronounced. This would probably be of interest to Bob from Hartford who just called, but he goes, and uh, he, is, he says the birthdays of everybody over 80 years old. Uh, he announces their birthdays on the air and then he'd go, no, no, it's really like it's great. People really like this, you know. And it really is. It was a very improbable show uh, in lots of ways. Uh, and I would say, first of all, one of Bob Steele's legacies to me is that I mean, Bob Steele lived in a time when you really when language was more prescriptive than descriptive. I mean, he actually thought there were right ways and wrong ways to pronounce words, which I think is almost all the way out the window at this point. But he was a big believer, for example, that the word E R R is correctly pronounced er. So you're not going to err on the side of caution. You're going to err on the side of caution. And, and I still do that, and nobody does it anymore. And then I sound like the person who doesn't know like that, how that word is pronounced. So I don't know. But I don't you know. He wouldn't like the way radio is now. But he didn't, he didn't think I was – I mean, I think I was – he thought I was pretty appalling too. So, Well, you had a relationship with him. It's funny. My dad I, – I had to listen to all that parade music every day. My dad was laughing. <laughs> couldn't start the day. I'd be going to grammar school like Bob would be blasted in the house. You know, it was like, you know, some kid playing rock music. It was a lot of, yeah, a lot of Sousa marches. I left that out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he'd be saying, you know, well, they, they don't want me to play marches anymore, but screw them. And he'd be playing yeah. <laughs> marches. And he's such a good guy. Oh, um, uh, I mean, I, I kind of enjoyed him. He's very, I, I met him at the Big E one time. He's very kind. Right. And I also wanted to um, ask you about, what do you think about Stephen Sondheim retiring? I don't know, is it, this news show's not going. Is it because Scott Rudin produced it, or you think he's just getting well, old? Well, how old is Stephen Sondheim now? He's, I mean, he is, you know, I, I, I haven't looked it up lately, but, but, but McPants will probably look it up they while had, I'm talking. They had the 90th, and, you know. Yeah, it's 91. What, yeah. 91, people want to get it. People think, oh, come on now, Steve, you get one more show up there. He's 91 years old. You know, when I'm 91 years old, if I'm graced enough to be on this earth, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to keep food in my mouth. Um, I, I, I think it's amazing what he's done so far. I mean, he, he, and I also think this is a good time for him to retire, and I'll say why. Um, from the time he really kind of came on the scene and then began to really click, you know, with musicals like Follies, 
he revolutionized Broadway songwriting. I mean, he changed the face of it. It became a different thing. Like it or don't like it, you know, um, in musicals like Company and Follies and stuff like that. He really, you know, I mean, starting with uh, with West Side Story, but also, you know, his, his initial stuff like Anyone Can Whistle and A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. But I mean, he really hit his stride. He changed it. He changed the way Broadway musicals sound. And you know what? Lin-Manuel Miranda is here now, and he's changing the way musicals sound. So it's a great time. For Stephen Sondheim to just say, you know what? I've probably done enough musicals at this point. I'm yeah, 91. He's done some mentoring for him. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he's 91 freaking years old. I would yeah, say. Yeah, but, but but he's got he's got talent. Oh yeah. You know, like remember what Rush Limbaugh used to say because he used to be, he used to be on right, right before you. <laughs> he's almost 91. Yeah, it's like yeah, talent on loan from God. I yeah. think Stephen Sondheim has that. Right. You no. know the truth. Right. You Stephen. Know, yeah. Stephen Sondheim really he, does. Yeah. Yeah. He owes us. Right. Another show. Uh, okay, well, I mean, I guess you could look at it that way. I mean, I don't know. There is, at some point, <laughs> there's a point of diminishing returns for any of us, right? There's a point at which, and, and I love it when, I mean, Roger Angel is, I don't know how old he is now, and he's still, you know, every every once in a while banks out a really terrific piece for The New Yorker. And he's older than Stephen Sondheim, I know that. Uh, and And that's great. I love it when people can do that. But, you know, doing a musical, I've written one, I've written a book for one musical. It took years, I mean, I will not get to 91 because I did that. It took years off my life. You know, I mean, mounting a musical is one of the most exhausting things that you can possibly do in the world. I'm being told Roger Angel is 101 next month. See, I mean, and I think that's great. And you get, you bang out a piece here and there for The New Yorker. But that's not the same as putting a musical on. Putting on a musical is just basically... I mean, you might as well just hook yourself up to something that drains the blood out of you, out of you. That's what it's going to do. All right. So, what should we do now? Look at all these wonderful, interesting calls. Uh, all right. Well, I'll just take the one, one about Tony Bennett because it kind of goes with the Sondheim thing, and then we'll go on to some other topics. All right. Uh, here's Alex from Manchester. Hi, Alex. Hey, Colin. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was listening last week, and you were speaking about Tony Bennett's. Uh, artistic integrity and his, you know, what, what sounded like his strong moral compass, mm-hmm. you know, in the, uh, in the industry. And I, I have a, a really brief story about that. Um, I got to work with him. Uh, I was doing production work and he was performing at Binghamton university. This is maybe five or six years ago. And just talking shop with some of their, their crew and their guys. I, I, I struck up a conversation with this front of house engineer and, uh, he said, yeah, you know, I, this is this is the second job I've ever had in my life. I've been with Tony for 25 years, and uh, he said that's amazing. He said, "You know, who were you with before that?" And he said, "Well, uh, before that, uh, I was with Frank Sinatra for 25." <laughs> and um, yeah, but uh, you know, just having been around this and you know, artists and, and there's a lot of ego. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that you know he had the same guys in his band, a lot of them for you know a few decades the same front of house guy for 25 years. I mean, he was just a pleasure to work with. Right. And uh, he, he walked in, he did about a, a 30 second sound check. He picked up the mic. They sang like eight bars of flying to the moon. <laughs> he said, okay, sounds good boys. I'll see you later. <laughs> you can do that when you know what you're doing. That's a great story. I love the sound check story. That is terrific. Um, and then that is the sign of somebody who knows what he's doing. All right. So we're going to go to Chris. Well, I'll just, I'll just take all these calls. Here we go. Uh, Why well, have a plan? Here's Chris from Avon. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, I just wanted, going back to the storm, uh, to comment on the dearth of local news 
uh, covering this. So, of course, the current is cut way back, so they're not covering anything local. Uh, and you basically have to resort to the, a Facebook page that somebody set up for your local town in order to actually know what's going on. And, of course, you know, that depends on the reporter. So I, I was feeling somewhat melancholy about that. I think 10 years ago you would have been able to go to the Harford Current and have a better idea. And you know, that rolls me over into how the local uh, you know, TV news stations used to uh, say the Harvard Current reported this yesterday, and that's how they would break half of their news mm-hmm. was because there was a Harvard Current report on it the day before, and now we don't see that, and it's sad. Right. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, they were over-dependent. I mean, I was a Harvard Current reporter for many years, and early in my career, I would show up for some kind of second day of a story that I'd covered. And you know, one of the TV reporters were there. They would be there, this is ages ago, of course, with a physical clip of my copy in their hand. <laughs> in other words, they, they would have clipped the story that I wrote for the Harper Current and brought it with them to the scene where they were covering the second day of the story. I want to say something, though. You know, there's you want to follow the storm? You want to know stuff that's happening? I mean, Twitter is really a great resource if you know how to sift it out. What I do, I'm sort of pro NBC 30. Um, and so I follow Ryan Hanrahan and Bob Maxson and Caitlin McGrath and Josh Singarelli. Is that his name? And I, I don't know anybody else I can find. And, you know, I mean, if you do that and you check it a lot, they'll, t- they'll tell you what's going to happen. Twitter's pr- really pretty good at storms, I think. Because, I mean, you can't lie. Ultimately, you can't lie about storms. People lie about all kinds of other things on Twitter. But Twitter's like a pretty good way to figure out, you know, in real time what's happening. Better than the Hartford Current ever could be. I also want to shout out a very nice little piece that I saw today. I think actually Mr. Carp sent it to me if you get right down to it. But so there's a here's a blog called 06880 where Westport meets the world. And a guy named Dan Woog, I hope I'm saying his name right. Dan Woog, maybe? W-O-O-G. You decide. He wrote this very nice piece about kind of what I was saying at the beginning. It could be that I actually plagiarized Dan Wook. Just how, you know, we think of things as a dud because we have all this sunk time and getting batteries and gas and moving patio furniture in. And we don't really ever learn any lessons from it. Uh, And he says this is a lot better to be pleasantly surprised that Henri was a dud. Uh, in Westport at least, than to broil in the dark with no utility truck in sight for days. Exactly. You're, you're unhappy if the, if, if the storm doesn't come, but you'd be even more unhappy if the storm did come, which means you're always going to be unhappy. Uh, and we shouldn't be like that. Anyway, he did a very nice little piece. I don't know who he is. I don't know what this blog is. Uh, I never heard of it before. But, uh, but shout out to Dan Woog or Woog, as the case may be. All right, let's take a break right here. We've got Adrienne, Steve, Steve. And other people will call. And I might have to, just for curiosity's sake, maybe I have to open up the envelope for Mr. Carp. 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-9677. All right. I... I can't even say what I'm laughing at at this point. I'm not even sure what I'm laughing at about. Uh, uh, So, um, first of all, I want to say thank you to several people. So, uh, Catbuster is not here today. So, we have 
We've gone up the food chain. Uh, Gina Matruda, who is the master of this entire universe that we are, like that, that I'm in right now. Anyway, Gina Matruda is uh, doing the technical producer job today. I don't know. It's like I don't know how to. It's like you know, your usual cellist doesn't show up, so you get Yo-Yo Ma. It's like that. Uh, and Jonathan McPants has made his way up through the murky waters of the Greater New Haven area uh, and made it up here to be screening your call. So that's what he's been doing. Oh, the two Steves hung up, and they both had good things. They both had interesting things to talk about. Oh, Steve's, you should call back. Uh, 888-720-WNPR. Call back, but give a different first name. 888-720-9677. But meanwhile, I am thrilled to be able to talk to Adrienne in West Hartford. Hi, you're on the air. Uh, Thank you, Colin. Like you, I I actually wrote to to President Bush and wrote to Colin Powell before the uh, Iraq War, doing my darndest to avert it. And then kind of let Afghanistan slide by me. But I'd like to talk about some ideas I have anti-war in general. One of them is that embassies should never close during wartime. Despite whatever animosities there are, nobody wants the war to drag on. Mm-hmm. Also, draft, uh, in, in as much as science has established that 26 is the age of brain maturity, nobody can be... Uh, enlist before age 26. But more than that, and this would take worldwide opinion to to coalesce behind it, I think it should be up to the frontline soldier whether or not to follow an order to shoot or even to advance. He should have the freedom at his own discretion to uh, ignore orders to shoot shoot or to advance. Mm -hmm. And I think war would slowly ground to a halt. My, My one concern would be that if that was to take place, there'd be people court-martialed. Right. I, I, I think- I th- it's, you know, I mean, you're you're kind of a John Lennon. You're kind of a, I mean, I, I think, first of all, I just do want to say embassies sometimes close because the people in them wouldn't be safe under the circumstances. But I, I understand what you mean. The lines of diplomacy should be open. You can take that back to World War II when Joseph Grew, the ambassador to Japan, to Japan, understood certain things about Japan that Washington did not understand. And that is often the case, you know, that the people in the diplomatic corps have a feel for a situation that should not be ignored. Uh, and, and shouldn't be ignored, especially if, when there are lives on the line. And as far as your other stuff goes, I mean, that's a wonderful idea. And you can't enlist until you're 26. That's never going to happen. Uh, same thing with the retreat or advance thing. But it's a, it's a lovely thought. It is. It is a really lovely thought. So um, here I said the Steves should call back. They did. I have to honor that. So here's Steve from Waterford. Hi, Steve. Hi. How are you? How are you doing? Good. Thanks for taking my call. Yep, so I wanted to uh, comment on an uh, earlier caller when he had mentioned, uh, I believe he's in the construction field, and that three-quarters of his time uh, he's outside, so he listens to a lot of meteorologists. But I was uh, I was kind of uh, teasing a friend of mine whose who's son uh, is very anxious to become a meteorologist, and I said that's the only profession that you can basically have uh, where you can be wrong more more than half the time and still make about 100 k a year. I said that's a great job to have. And so uh, he looked at me kind of quizzically. My friend uh, ended up uh, laughing, and he said, "Don't worry, Steve. He's he's uh, just. I mean, his name, his son's name is Steve. And he goes, "Don't worry, Steve." And he calls me Uncle Steve. He says, "Uncle Steve likes to give everybody a hard time that he likes." <laughs> well, that's very possibly true of you. Yes, I mean, first of all, I you know I think meteorologists do. I mean, first of all, we have Garrett Argianis, who's a terrific meteorologist. I worked with him for even before I came here to WNPR, um, and and 
I think they do a really good job. But I think yelling, they, you know who that what they are? They're the people that people feel comfortable picking on. You know, they're the professional core where people, everybody can sort of go. Oh, you know, they didn't get that one right. You know, I, I, I think they're they're too easy a target. Be, be, hug yeah, hug hug a meteorologist. Get get permission first. Yes means yes. But um, you know, uh, if you have the opportunity, you should hug one. Absolutely, and and then I was gonna, you know, I mentioned to you, uh, a lot of times people will get into conversations, and I uh, enjoy talking with people. So, I what I oftentimes will ask somebody is, do you know what the most caring question is that you can actually ask, not just your family and friends, but pretty much anybody. And what I often like to do is give uh, three good examples, let them guess, and I tell them I'm not like Foxwoods or, or uh, the Mohegan Sun. I you can't lose. I'll give you the right answers. So, All right. So, yeah, so are so we going? Are we going to do, do this right now or, or not? We're not. Okay. Yeah. We are. Yeah. Okay. So let's do it. We have to do it lickety split though, because there are other callers waiting. Okay. Very good. So what I what I uh, throw out as an example is most people think, "Are you? You know, how are you?" And then, and I tell people that can rapidly change. So, how are you is not the most caring question. Uh, I tell them it has to be in time. So the greater the time, the more the care. Are you all set for the day, in fact, is more caring than how are you? Are you all set for the week, seven times more caring? All set for the year, 52 times more caring. So the greater the time, the more the care. And most people guess, by the way, are you all set for life? And I tell them that's very good. That's the second most caring question to which nobody strives to have second place. So uh, what would your guess be? And if, if you miss it, I'll give you the right answer. Of all those possibilities that you just, um, not uh, just among all those? No, I, yeah, among everything that I, well, obviously. I, I actually think, that I, I think, are you okay today is the most caring question. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so so what I do is I explain to them the greater the time. The I, you know, I, I get that theory. I got that theory. I understand that theory. All right, we're going to have to move on here just because there's so many other people waiting. But I, I'll say one thing about this. The most caring thing that's ever been said to me was not a question. It was a statement. It was, you're going to be okay. Uh, there have been a number of occasions in my life where somebody has said, when I didn't necessarily believe it, you're going to be okay. And it's been profoundly moving to me when, when it's happened. And it's been very helpful. Uh, all right, here's Steve. Here's another Steve, Steve from Torrington. This is another Steve who no doubt knows four or five other Steves in his own life. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. That's good. Uh, I was wondering, last week we were talking about different ways of getting people to take the, uh, the shot. Mm-hmm. Why not give all these benefits, college education, lottery tickets, whatever, a new car, give it to those of us who took the shots? Well, it's an interesting point, and, and I totally understand what you're getting at, which is why reward the people who are dysfunctioning? Um, and, and, and philosophically, it's an interesting point, an interesting question. And I wouldn't give college educations to people who didn't get vaccinated and then suddenly will. But I mean, you know, entering them into lotteries or, I don't know, giving them a couple of free tickets or something, I don't think there's any great loss in doing that. And there might be a big gain. I mean, we really, ultimately, you got to think about what's, what's, there's two competing goals, right? The administration of justice in a just world, the people who had already done good things, who had already participated in the public good they would get things. Uh, so that's one goal, to administer a just world. The other goal is to get people vaccinated so we don't all die. <laughs> and so that's somewhat in conflict with the first goal. Uh, and you, you might for a moment suspend eternal judgment 
uh, about justice and just sort of, you know, let's get people vaccinated. If we have to give them tickets to go see the Foo Fighters or something, that's like, just do it. Do it. You know, it's a concert. Uh, all right. But not college education. <laughs> they can't have free college. They can't go to Harvard free of charge. Uh, all right. So uh, let's go to Carla from Fairfield, who is about to unravel a mystery here. And then I think we'll try to quickly open Mr. Carp's envelope just for dramatic effect. Hi, Carla. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Thanks. I love your show, and I really appreciate listening today. I can't always get you in Fairfield, but somehow it's coming in clear in Fairfield today. And I heard your uh, comments about uh, Dan Woog, mm-hmm. and he is like a local celebrity. Yeah, He's been writing for the newspaper, local newspapers and um, does all kinds of PR stuff in um, Fairfield County, well-known down here in the Westport, Fairfield area, and he's a very good writer and a very deep philosopher. Yeah, I know. I was, so very, I, I was very struck by that. I, I thought uh, his musings on the storm were uh, trenchant uh, and good. And all right, I'm going to open up the envelope. For, if you're just tuning in here, this is the envelope from Mr. Carp. Uh, it has things in it that I might be interested in or not. Okay, we have a clipping here. About Ted Lasso, uh, a piece about Ted Lasso by Doreen St. Felix. They're all sta- stapled together. I can't tell. And there's a lot of underline. <laughs> Mr. Carp likes to underline things. Uh, there's like a lot of stuff from The New Yorker in this one, I, I think. Um, I, don't- I-, I think it's good. It's like sometimes he sends me a- – let's see if there's anything else in the envelope. No, there isn't. All right. Uh, this isn't peak Mr. Carp. Uh, like I sometimes – sometimes there will be like 20 clips in the thing, you know. But so we could have talked about Ted Lasso. Let's see what else we could have talked about today. Had I ne- had I needed the Mr. Carp thing, um, something about did liberal reformers shake our faith in government? That's a Louis Menon piece. And uh, let's see uh, books about old houses and new beginnings. Um, see, this is the kind of thing. This is the kind of thing that could actually enliven a show like this. And oh, John Corigliano's opera. The Lord of Cries, which reimagines Dionysus as Dracula. Well, I do need to know more about that. All right. So um, I believe that composer is the person who wrote the the score to Altered States. I think I might be right about that. Um, All right. So we're out of time here. Um, And I will say about uh, season two of Ted Lasso, I'm not all the way through it yet. I think they, you know, it's hard to recapitulate something that's as good as the first season. The first season is very, very good. Um, and uh, but there's something about the second season where there's too much Ted, you know, too much Ted and his unique phraseologies and callbacks. And, uh, you know, I mean, he if he's having a press conference, he calls on a guy and he goes, go Pat Benatar on me, you know, and the guy has to think about that. And he goes, oh, you mean hit me with your best shot. There's too much of that stuff, too much Ted. And there's hardly any what the English call football. I mean, it's supposed to be about a guy who's coaching an English football team without knowing anything about football slash soccer. Uh, and they've kind of gotten away from that. There's <laughs> like in the episodes that I've seen, there's, I don't know, about 90 seconds of football maybe. All right. So that's the end. That's all. Uh, I was correct about altered states. That's all we can possibly say. Uh, thanks to everybody who helped out, especially Gina Matruda for coming in. Thanks to you if you called up. Thanks to Mr. Jonathan McPants. Thanks to Mr. Carp too, of course. Of course. Always thanks to Mr. Carp. From time to time.
whatever you have reached has been disconnected.